If you have a Bible this morning, let's open up to John chapter 14. We're going to continue on in our study through this gospel account. We're going to start in verse 12, and we're going to go through verse 31 this morning. And so feel free to open up to that. And while you're opening up there, I want you to think about any sort of like leadership transition is hard. Think about any sort of like leadership transition is just hard. You think about a coaching transition. You think about a ministry transition. Don't worry, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, you think about uh, like a, a, a change of like a CEO at a company or any sort of like government transition. Any sort of leadership transition is hard. And regardless of the situation, they all kind of basically have the same thing at their core. Basically what happens is the outgoing person will kind of gather his group together, whether he gathers his company or his church family or his fan base and hold a press conference, whatever it is, the person who's transitioning out will kind of gather his crew and he basically tells them, look, I'm going away, but don't worry, you're, you're in good hands, everything's going to be okay, a new person is coming in after me and that person's going to be even better, you're going to love them. That's basically what happens in, a, in any sort of transition. You know, the person gathers, it's okay. I'm going away, but don't worry. There's going to be someone who's going to come in behind me. You're in good hands. I remember having to do the same thing when I transitioned out of RUF at CNU. It's a ministry I had planted from scratch and was there for five years. And so I had another guy come in behind me, Jeff Lee. And I remember gathering kind of the, our last large group of the year and saying, look, you know, the Lord has called us away from here. And so we're leaving RUF, but don't worry, you've got this other guy who's coming in, his name's Jeff Lee, he's actually an alum of CNU, he loves this place, he came through here, he's a minister in Virginia already, you're going to love him, he's a great guy. And so as we leave, don't worry, Jeff's going to come in, and he's just going to carry on what we've already done, and so make sure you come back and love this family well. And it was a part of that transition, and I said, don't worry, somebody else is coming in behind me. And last week, when we think about what we looked at in, in John's gospel, we see Jesus telling his disciples that he was going to be leaving soon. And so chapters 14 to 17 in this gospel account are commonly referred to as the farewell discourse. And you see at the end of verse 12 in chapter 14, he'll say, Jesus says, I'm going, I'm going away and I'm going to the Father. And you see him say that constantly throughout these chapters. I'm going away, I'm going to my Father. Now, I want you to put yourself in the sandals of one of these disciples. Hearing this, Jesus say, I'm going away. That news must have landed like a ton of bricks, especially in the midst of kind of a joyous Passover celebration. I mean, this is like a, a big high feast day. The city's full of people. There's a lot of stuff going on. And Jesus says, hey, guess what? I'm going away. It must have just been like a load of bricks that just got dumped. And now imagine hearing Jesus say, hey, I'm going away, but it's actually to your advantage that I go away. And you're thinking, wait, what? How could we possibly, how could it possibly be to our advantage that you, the Son of God, whom we have proclaimed and see you do all of these miracles and signs and wonders and we've been following you around, how in the world could it possibly be to our advantage that you leave? What could Jesus possibly say that would give his disciples comfort in the wake of his departure? Let's find out. Let's look at John chapter 14, starting in verse 12. Let's give attention to the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, because greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. I'm grateful for that, and I hope you are too. Let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit's help this morning as we look to this text. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that every bit of it's true. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in creation. You've also given us your word. And Lord, you've revealed yourself most notably through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and help us in this moment. Speak to our hearts, convict us, comfort us, O Lord, as we consider your word. Lord, we thank you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, this morning, I want to teach you a $3 word. You see, it's in the sermon title, so you don't have to worry about how to spell it, but it's the word paraclete. It's a $3 word. And so it comes from the Greek word parakletos, which is a, a two words kind of put together. So para is a word that means like alongside or beside of, and then kletos is called one. So the called one who comes alongside you, the paraclete, parakletos is where you get that from. In antiquity, a paraclete was what we would now kind of think about like a defense attorney. This would be one who would come alongside you. You would, you would ask them to come and help you when you needed it. And so in the wake of his departure, remember we're in the, uh, the farewell discourse here, Jesus promised to send another paraclete, another helper, to be with his people forever. And in verse 17, we find out that it's the spirit of truth. And I want you to make note of the pronouns here. There's big discussion in our culture about pronouns. So I want you to 
make note of the pronouns that are used here to describe the spirit of truth. Oftentimes we speak of the Holy Spirit as an it, kind of like an impersonal force, kind of like Star Wars. It's this impersonal force. But I want you to notice here the pronouns that are used are he. It's a person, the person of the Holy Spirit. So we talk about the Trinity. There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Same in substance, equal in power and glory. These three are one God. So it's a person, the person of the Spirit. And so our outline this morning is just going to be a series of three questions as we try to understand this promised paraclete. So Jesus says the paraclete's coming. So we're going to ask three questions. If you're a note-taking type of person, these are going to be kind of our three big topics that we hit. Number one, we're going to ask, who is the paraclete? The second question we're going to ask is, what does he do? What does the paraclete do? And then finally, kind of the so what question. Why should we care? Why should we care about the paraclete? So who is he? What does he do? Why should we care? And so let's look at that first question. Who is the paraclete? First off, we see the Spirit is described as, quote-unquote, another helper. And in English, the word another can have two uses. So you think about another of the same kind. So an example of this would be, may I have another peanut butter cookie? May I have another one just like that? But we also can say, you can also use another of a different kind. An example would be, I'm allergic to peanuts. Do you have another one? Maybe a chocolate chip. So can I have another of that exact same one? Or another of a different, of a different kind? In Greek, there are two different words for another. You have alos, which is another of the same kind, and heteros, another of a different kind. Here Jesus says that he will ask the Father to send alas parakletos, another helper of the same kind as the helper you've already known, speaking of himself. And I want you to notice here this promise. The entire Trinity is present. You have God the Father being referenced, God the Spirit being referenced, and God the Son speaking. The whole Trinity is present in this exchange. And so... Jesus is promising that the same Spirit who was present with him during his earthly ministry would be with and in them forever, as we see in verse 16. And in many ways, when you think about this, instead of losing Jesus, they're actually going to gain him in a more intimate way. He says, there's this one who's going to come, this helper, who's going to be the same substance as me, who's going to come and dwell with you and be with you. Here's what Sinclair Ferguson said. He says, Our Lord spells this out for them. As they continue to walk in loving obedience to Him, God's purposes will unfold. They fear they will be orphaned, but the reverse will be the case. For now they will taste the love of both the Father and the Son. Rather than being deprived of the ministry that Jesus has exercised among them, they will experience that ministry forever. Look at verse 12. It talks about the the work of the disciples and the future church that they would help establish would be accompanied by the Holy Spirit and accomplish big things throughout the world, well beyond the borders of Jerusalem and the surrounding area that they knew. He said, you'll see even greater works than what you've seen with me. As the Spirit enables them, as they go out beyond the borders and they to Jerusalem and Judea and even to the ends of the earth. Acts 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
When you think about what's going on here and what's being promised, we're still seeing this now as the Holy Spirit is leading the church of Christ around the world. And again, remember the Great Commission at the end of Matthew where Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always until the end of the age. That promise is still being true. As we see the, the borders of God's kingdom continually expanding. And we are reminded of the promise that the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. And God is always at work. And His Holy Spirit is always at work. It's the thing that I had to remember when I was wearing myself out in campus ministry. That you know the Holy Spirit could convict someone's heart at 3 a.m. while I'm asleep. I still have to remember that even now as I pastor here in the church. So God's always at work. He's always at work. And the kingdom of God is always advancing. And we look at verses 13 and 14. We need to remember that the words in Jesus' name are not magic words that compel God to do whatever we ask. Some people have this, this theology that we just kind of name it and claim it in Jesus' name. And then it's in many ways we're thinking about Jesus like a big vending machine. And so we say the right words, we kind of do the right thing, push the buttons in the right order. And if we do it, then the prize pops out. But what that does is actually cheapens our theology of God. God is still the sovereign creator. He's not a vending machine. And in many ways, when you think about the past 18 months, one of the things that's been really interesting to watch is Kenneth Copeland and his other kind of like word of faith false teacher guys like him have found this out the hard way over the past 18 months as they have gone repeatedly time after time and they have cast COVID out in Jesus' name. I, in Jesus' name, I declare this to be gone. And then look at the camera and say, well, it's done. It's done. And I want you to remember here when we think about in praying in Jesus' name, God is not mocked. He is not our butler. He is sovereign. He is sovereign. We are not sovereign. So what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? To pray in the name of Christ is to submit to the sovereign will of God and to identify with the will of Christ, which is the glory of the Father. Remember, in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name, not my name. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come as we pray, as Jesus taught us to pray. Thy will be done. Hallowed be thy name. We're not going glorify me. Glorify you, O Lord. We do all of this in accordance with the Scriptures. John 16, 13 to 15. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. So we think about one of the works of the Spirit. The Spirit takes the Scripture, illuminates us, guides us into all truth, and will never lead us to do anything that is contrary to the Scripture or that is in contradiction with God's holiness ever. So if you ever feel like the Spirit is leading you to sin, you can 100% know that that's not Him. The Spirit is never going to lead you into sin. He is going to lead you into what is true and what is right in accordance to God's will, in accordance to the Scripture, for the glory of God the Father and the glory of the Holy Blessed Trinity. Satan has had millennia 
to hone his deceptive craft. He is a liar. He is an accuser. And he is very good at dangling the temptations of the world in front of God's people. Many of you have experienced this. I bet all of you have in many ways. Here's what James 4, 7 through 8 tells us to do. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What a helpful, helpful verse. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And flee to Christ. Draw near to God. Notice there's a contrast between the redeemed people of God and the rest of sinful humanity, which is commonly referred to as the world. Not everyone will be able to see the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verses 6 through 7. For, the mind, for to set the mind on the flesh, so in, the, in sin and our sinful nature, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And we've already talked about throughout the Gospel of John about how our hearts, we are born in sin. We are born hostile to God. Romans 5, 12 to 21 talks about how we are born with a sin nature. And so we come under condemnation into this world. We come under condemnation of sin. And that leaves us with a big problem. The big problem is we can't save ourselves. We need a Savior. But our hearts are dead and hostile and at enmity and strife and warfare with God. Rebellion. And actually, the Scripture tells us that our hearts are spiritually dead. And so what can dead people do? Nothing. Just be dead. So, how does the Spirit work? The Spirit works on us, giving us, taking away the heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh. Renewing our wills, renewing our minds, waking us up, quickening us is the old word that's used for it. We think about the work of the Spirit. Not everyone is able to see this because not everyone is a part of God's elect chosen people. And the Scripture teaches it from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It doesn't matter whether you don't like that word. The word election is in the Scripture. And we have to think about how do we then think about it. How do we respond to it? What is it talking about? And one of the marks that it says is that only God's chosen elect folks who are elected by grace before the foundation of the world, only they have the work of the Spirit in their hearts. And again, you think, well, that's not fair. How in the world does that work? And again, we think, remember, we started with the question, why me, O Lord? The question is, why would any of us, sinful as we are, would have ever had the light this my eye diffused a quickening ray in that opening song. Why in the world would the Lord ever show any of us grace? Because none of us deserve it. Now think about the countless untold numbers from all nations, tribes, and tongues throughout the history of the church that God has chosen to set His love and grace upon, undeserving as we are. And we say, thank you, Lord. Why would you ever be that kind to me? Instead of beating our chest and, oh, I'm so, look at me how awesome I am, we are humbled to the dust and say, Lord, why me? Why would you ever be this gracious and kind to me? It's the gospel. It's just the gospel set before us. And so the question is, if only God's redeemed people are able to experience the Holy Spirit, what does this Spirit do? How does He come as our helper? That's our second question. What does this paraclete do? 
We see three pictures of his ministry in verses 15 to 31. This is not an exhaustive list, obviously, but we do get three kind of pictures that we can kind of think about to help us kind of understand the work of the Spirit. And the first picture we've already touched on, that the paraclete comes as a counselor or an advocate. And throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus was the disciples' counselor. The very, you know, he was with them, he helped answer their questions. The words that we're focusing on this very morning is counsel that Jesus is giving to his disciples. He spoke words of comfort to them. Remember, he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. There's that Greek word again that we've seen a bunch, terasso. Don't let your hearts be stirred up. He's offering words of comfort to them. He taught them, he challenged them, he answered their questions. Again, here's what Sinclair Ferguson said. He knows his disciples will still require an advocate on earth. They will need encouragement and wise counsel. They will need to know how to live a faithful Christian life. Who will give this when Jesus leaves? Jesus reassures them that the Spirit will continue the ministry he began. So the Spirit is a, is a counselor, but he's also an advocate. Like a friend who knows us best and would be able to vouch for us if we were ever hauled into court on false charges and come to our defense and aid. One who can come and advocate for us because they know us really, really well. And you think about how the Holy Spirit was active throughout Jesus' earthly life. The Spirit was active when Jesus was conceived. He enabled Jesus to grow in wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and man, as Luke tells us. He was present at both his baptism and with him during his temptation. He was with him at the resurrection. Basically, the Spirit was with Jesus from womb to tomb in his earthly life. Again, here's what Ferguson said. He was really helpful if you hadn't picked up. He said, he was with him, speaking of the Spirit, he was with him through every step of his life. He knew him best. We might indeed say that he was our Lord's best friend. This is why the Holy Spirit's ministry to us is so significant. He knows Jesus best, and he knows us best too. He knows, us how, to teach, he knows how to teach us about Jesus and what resources to bring us from Jesus. So the second picture, so we get this picture of the Spirit being a counselor or an advocate and how it matters to us as the Spirit guides us into truth and teaches us more about Christ and the gospel and illumines the Scripture to our hearts. But the second picture that we get, I don't know if you picked up on it, the Holy Spirit is referred to as a home builder. Did you pick up on that? A home builder. Last week we heard Jesus' promise that he was going to, quote-unquote, prepare a place for his disciples in his Father's house. That's verse 3 of chapter 14. This is a future promise. Hey, I'm going away, but I'm going to go prepare a place for you. But don't worry, I'm going to come back. But he said, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. And so you think about what's going on here, this future promise that Jesus gives. Now Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit's going to come to them and make his home in their hearts. Don't worry, I'm going to go away and prepare a, heart, uh, prepare a home for you. But guess what? The Holy Spirit's going to come and make his home in your heart. And so we see that in the present tense. Look at verse 23. Why in the world would the Spirit do this? to get us ready for our true and better home. And notice in verse 18 where Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. Even though he was leaving, the disciples would never be alone and without a home and a father because of the ministry of the Spirit. And look at verses 20 and 21. 
Jesus said, In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Again, Ferguson, here's what he said. Sometimes it's better just to say a quote because he can say it better than I can in half a page. Here's what Ferguson said. This is what the Spirit's ministry is like. He not only enables us to feel at home with God, we will not feel orphaned, but transforms us so that we become men and women about whom the Father might say to the Son, I feel at home there, don't you? You ever watch those home renovation shows before? They seem to be like a dime a dozen on any network that you see. These where you know, people will buy like an old dumpy home and they fix it up. And you'll hear things like, You'll, you'll meet the couple at the beginning and the person will say, well, I'm an amateur photographer and he's a professional dog walker and our budget is half a million dollars. You're like, what? What are y'all doing? What are y'all doing for a living? But the fun part of those shows isn't when they, they go and you watch this old tired house get completely gutted and transformed into a house fit for a king. And that's the cool part of the process. You, walk, you watch this thing and, you know, these people buy this house, maybe sight unseen, and it's just got junk in it everywhere. And you're like, how in the world are they possibly going to fix that thing up? And then in the magic of TV, in 30 minutes, by the end, you're like, man, they did a great job. That's pretty cool. And then you start, like, taking pictures and writing things down, like, I want those soapstone countertops. Or, man, that range is really nice. Or, I would love a man cave that looks like that or a she shed or whatever. And you think about how hard and long that process is in those shows. But here's what C.S. Lewis did. C.S. Lewis once likened the Spirit's work of sanctification in our lives to this very process when you think about home renovation. Here's what he said. But presently he, speaking of God, starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing up a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. So you think about this process of sanctification, which is sometimes hard, actually oftentimes hard, but it's guided by the Holy Spirit for our holiness and for the glory of God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, we ask the question, what is sanctification? Sanctification is defined as a work, underline, of God's free grace. It differs from justification and adoption, which are an act of God's free grace. Sanctification is defined as a work of God's free grace over the course of our lives. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That we're all people in process. So if, you are, if you are, uh, you're not perfect, you're here and going, well, I'm not perfect and I don't have my life all together and Jesus is still working on me, guess what? Welcome to the club. That's the process of progressive sanctification over the course of your life. And did you notice that we have a part to play in all of this? Look at verse 15. Verse 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now skip over to verses 21 through 24. It says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Then look at verse 23. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. 
And he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Basically, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my word. As Christians, we're called to interact with love and obey the word of God. Here's what Dallas Willard said, really helpful quote. He said, God's grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. And here's the thing, and this is really important. If you are here and you follow Christ, are we called to obey God's word, yes or no? Yes, we are. We obey. But what's the motivation for your obedience? That's the big deal. If you're a Christian, you do not obey so that God will love you. That's moralism. Go be a good little boy or girl, do it right, and then I may get around to loving you. That's not how the gospel works. It's moralism. You obey because he already loves you. That's the gospel. The motivation for our obedience flows out of his love and grace and kindness and mercy that has come to us. And our hearts are changed and we want to obey. It's our joy to obey because of all that he's done. We love, why? Because he first loved us. It's the gospel. So the, the impetus for our obedience, what motivates our obedience... It's the grace of God and all that He's done. We, he changes our hearts and we want to obey. It's our heart's desire to obey. Not because that we might be able to gain enough like little points in our corner or enough poker chips that we can finally cash in and go, Hey, Lord, is this good enough? Because you're never going to be good enough. That's why you need Jesus. Do you get that? You're never going to be good enough. You're born in sin. You're so far behind the eight ball. There's no way that you can obey and be perfect enough and bring your righteousness to God and go, hey, I'm holy enough now because you're not. You never will be. That's why you need Jesus. That's why you need a Savior. That's why you need His grace. By the renovating and sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel that saves us is also the gospel that changes us over the course of our lives. It's called progressive sanctification. And we are conformed more and more to the image of Jesus. And this is a good thing. So sanctification is hard. It's a work of the Spirit. You're not being conformed into, a, into something that you want to look like. You're being conformed more and more into the image of Christ. And it's a hard work sometimes, but it's a good thing. He said, all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We think the good is very comfortable, plenty of money in the bank, we die in our sleep and no hell. But the good, actually, that's promised there is being more conformed to the image of Christ. All you got to do is just go to the next verse. That's the good, being more and more fit for heaven through the work of the Spirit in our life. That's a good thing. Now, the third picture we get is of the Holy Spirit as a teacher. Look at verses 25 and 26. It says, These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach, there it is, you all things, and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You see, John himself experienced the fulfillment of this promise, and the written gospel account that you have in your lap right now is a testament to that. The Holy Spirit brought to remembrance all of the things that Jesus taught, and he wrote them down. John was, saw that in action. 2 Peter 1.21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
as he brought to remembrance all that they had heard and seen. And the thing is, is that same spirit is still at work today, not in producing new revelation of Scripture. The canon is closed. We don't believe that new Scripture is being written or set down. So that's not what's going on. But the work of the Spirit is taking the existing Scripture and teaching and applying it to our hearts. Have you ever read a passage of Scripture maybe six or seven times, but it's that eighth time where it finally kind of clicks with you? As the Holy Spirit illumines and light, the light bulb goes off for the first time. And you're like, oh. Or the Spirit, you'll read something in the Scripture and the Spirit will feel that like conviction coming. Like, I don't love my neighbors like that. I don't love and pray for my enemies. I actually pray for their demise. But you call me, O oh Lord, to do that. I don't want to give freely of all that I have. I want to keep a tight fist on it. I don't want to be generous. And you feel the Spirit going, yeah, but the Word says so. And so we're called to obey and we're listening. And we, and we think the Spirit has taken that Word and applying it to our hearts. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 and 13. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So you think, who is this paraclete? What work does he do? Teacher, advocate, those things. Finally, third question, why should we care? Why does this apply? The so what question. Why should we care about the work of the paraclete? Here's the thing. In many ways, American evangelicalism has reduced the Holy Spirit to just a warm, fuzzy feeling that you get when you sing a song you like. They said, the Spirit's at work. And it's just a warm, fuzzy feeling that you get when you sing a song that you like. And what that does, when, you, when, it's, when the work of the Spirit is just that, you rob the Spirit of His personhood, it robs him of his active work in your life as a counselor, as an advocate, as a home builder, as a renovator, as a teacher. Because the Spirit is a living, active member of the co-equal, co-eternal, triune Godhead. And he is worthy of our worship as he works to make us more fit for heaven each day. Even if that work convicts you, even if that work makes you uncomfortable, or if that work drives you to repentance. If you reduce the Spirit to just a warm, fuzzy feeling, you are robbing Him of, of His personhood and His work. The Holy Spirit is powerful and mighty and a member of the eternal Godhead. As Jesus said, this helper is going to come, going to be just like me. As our catechism states again, there are three persons in the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. As the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. We love to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And those are amazing things. But the renovating work of the Spirit is also a part of the growing process. Aren't you glad that the Spirit hasn't left you exactly where you have been? That He is changing you and shaping you and molding you. And sometimes that means knocking a wall out and it hurts and it's not fun. But at the end, you turn around and go, oh, that's what you were up to. I'm grateful for that. Does your life bear the marks of the growth of the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Does your life bear the works as you take a step back and think about your life? Do you see growth in your life in those areas where you can say, look, the Spirit is at work? Does your life bear the marks of the renovating power of the Spirit? 
Is your your life marked by repentance? Repentance before God. Repentance before each other. Are you able to say, I was wrong and I'm sorry? Forgiveness, submission, teachability. Again, being able to admit that you're wrong. Does your life bear any of those marks at all as you look and ask, is the Spirit at work? Does your life bear the marks of the Spirit as you grow in your knowledge and love of God's Word? Or are you basically exactly where you were a decade ago? Are you still swimming in the kiddie pool? Or do you have a desire to go deeper into the Scriptures as you see the Spirit at work? A couple of diagnostic questions again. Do you find yourself looking for any reason to skip gathering on the Lord's Day, even, the Lord, even though the Lord has promised to meet us here? Not to mention it's the fourth commandment, to honor, honor the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. In Hebrews 10, 24-25, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you say the draw, see the day drawing near. I'm not talking about medical hindrance. I'm not talking about going on vacation every now and then. But, I mean, if we're sitting here and going like, well, you know, I just don't feel, I'm just not feeling it today. You know, one of the ways that we obey the Word is we show up on a Sunday morning. Do you have a growing awareness of who God is? What it means to be made in His image? What it means to be part of His bride, the church? A deepening knowledge of the gospel, salvation. Or are you just here because, quote-unquote, that's what you're supposed to do in the South and you're just waiting for me to be quiet so we can go to the Cracker Barrel? Glad y'all picked up on that. And you think about how the Spirit is at work in our lives as He's conforming us more and more to the image of His Son and we grow in faith and our knowledge of the love of the Lord. That's a good thing. And you might feel, man, that preacher's really meddling up there. Is the Spirit at work in your heart? Are you growing in your knowledge of God? Are you growing in your knowledge of the world of the Word? And if, you, and if you're not and you think about this and you still wonder why your spiritual life feels dry and stuck... Dusty Bibles lead to dusty hearts. The Lord has promised to meet us in His Word. He says, if you love me, read my commandments, obey my Word, read my Word, interact with it. If you're here this morning and you do not trust Christ as your Savior, I would call you to repent. Repent from your self-salvation project, from the ways that you are trying to find truth in and of yourself or truth somewhere outside of the Scripture. And I call you to repent and obey the Gospel. To understand and to submit to this Lord who has revealed himself. It says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So he says, hallowed be thy name, not my name. If you're here this morning, you don't trust Christ. Today's the day of salvation. If you were here this morning and you feel like your spiritual life has just been kind of like in neutral for forever, might I suggest opening up the word Letting the means of grace wash, wash over you as the Spirit takes those things and applies them to you. Gathering with the saints on the Lord's Day. Prayer. Scripture. Those means of grace. The simple things that God uses in our lives. Sometimes we're, we're looking for the big dynamic, like dynamite moment. Like the big action hero moment where something blows up and we walk in slow motion away from it and we look really cool. That's oftentimes not how the spiritual life works. A lot of times it's a long obedience in the same direction, drip 
drip, drip, drip over the course of our lives as the Spirit works through these means of grace. But they're powerful and they're good and they're wonderful. As we gather together, as we pray together, as we sing together, as we sit under the Word together, as we take the sacraments together, over time, the Lord uses those. It's not flashy, but the Lord has promised to, to move us and, and to grow us in those areas. So we have this, this catechism question we looked at a couple of weeks ago. What are the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification? Here's what the benefits listed are. The benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, those are acts of God's free grace, and sanctification, a work of God's free grace, are, here's the benefits, assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Ghost, and an increase of grace and perseverance until the very end. Wonderful benefits that flow from justification, sanctification, and adoption. All of it is a gift of divine grace and mercy. Look at verse 27. Jesus promised peace and assurance for his people through the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 16-17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ... Provided we suffer with him, uh-oh, in order that we may also be glorified with him. In your daily struggle with sin and brokenness, you need to remember you have a comforter, a guide, a teacher, and an advocate who will remind you of God's holiness, but also remind you of his grace, and remind you of his mercy, and remind you of his forgiveness. I'm almost done, hang with me. I want you to think about this in 1 John 2, 1 through 6. The same John is writing. He says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, same word, with the Father. Who is it? Jesus Christ the righteous. Did you catch that you actually have two paracletes if you were in Christ? You have two. Two advocates. Two paracletes. The Spirit of God dwelling within you and the Son of God who is currently sitting at the right hand of the Father but who has gone ahead of you to prepare an eternal dwelling for you. You have two paracletes. One who has made his home in your heart. The other one who's already made a room for you and is ready and waiting and has promised to come back. It's amazing. It's amazing when you think about it. We don't have our great paraclete. We have our great paracletes, plural. Interceding for you. Jesus, our great high priest, interceding for you before the throne of God. The Holy Spirit at work in your life, setting up shop in your heart, knocking walls out. It's not always fun, but it's for your good and for, your, and for God's glory. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, not get what we want. It's for our good. It's a good thing. Think about the hope that this brings in the here and now for those who trust Christ by faith. At just the right time, the Father sent his, his only Son, Jesus, your advocate, your paraclete, to earth to live the sinless life you could never do on your own, to die the death that you totally deserved, and who then rose victorious over death and hell itself. That's your advocate, Jesus Christ. Then the Father, at just the right time, sent the Holy Spirit, your other advocate, your other paraclete, to call you from spiritual, life, spiritual death to spiritual life to give you a new heart, a new family, and a new reason to get up in the morning. Think about the work of these two paracletes. 
says Jesus Christ the righteous is our advocate before the Father. The Holy Spirit taking our weak prayers. You ever The Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words and takes our feeble, weak prayers up to the throne of God the Father and intercedes for us. I have no idea what that looks like, but I'm grateful for it. Grateful for the work of the Spirit. Grateful for it at just the right time. God the Father sent His Son. And at just the right time, God the Father sent His Holy Spirit to take a wretch like me, sinful and messed up and selfish as I was, lost, shaking my fist at God, and to give me a new heart, and to give me a Savior. That's my story. It's probably your story too. Is this just the right time? God sent His Spirit to change our hearts and give us a new reason to get up in the morning. And so now, Jesus intercedes for you as your great high priest, and the Holy Spirit intercedes for you as He takes your prayers before the Father's throne of grace. You see, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love. That's Jesus. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Active, good, for, for God's glory, always at work. Is the Spirit at work in your heart? It's a good thing to ask the Lord. might be scary. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It might be a scary thing. The Lord might knock a wall out, but it's for His glory and for your good, and we trust the Spirit. And aren't you glad that the, the Spirit of God is always at work, continuing to change dead hearts and, and bring people and draw people unto Himself through the work of effectual calling? It's all of grace. Every bit of it is of grace. And we're grateful that the Spirit is still on the move. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, we pray. Let's pray together. Father, as we think about the work of the Spirit, we're grateful, O Lord, for this promise that you gave the disciples and one that we can hold tightly to as we think about living in the here and now. That you've not left us as orphans, Lord, and because you live, we live. And we are united to you. And Father, your Spirit is at work. Lord, we pray that you would shape us more and more into the image of Christ. It's a scary thing to pray. Because we don't know what that's going to look like. And it might not fit our perfectly crafted plans that we have for our lives. But Lord, that's what we pray. Lord, please conform us more and more to the image of your Son by the renovating work of the Spirit. And we're grateful, O Lord, that you've not left us alone. You've given us your Spirit to illumine our hearts, to guide us into truth, to help us, Lord, to obey, to help us to love one another, to help us to repent, and Lord, to help us to... Even pray as we do now, as you take our prayers before the throne. And so, Father, help us to just be thankful for all that you have done. That even as you, you left your earthly disciples, O oh Lord, you have given us this other helper. And Lord, we long for the day when you return and you take us back to the house that you have built for us with the Father forever. May that give us great hope and comfort. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.